right, it may be hard for us Americans to believe, but there's a world outside of the United States. Yeah, things happen outside of the good old USA. Canada, our upstairs neighbor, has ramped up research into shark activity in recent years and has been working with researchers in Cape Cod to gather data. I wanted to know what sharks are up to in Canada, so I spoke with Heather Bowlby, lead researcher at the Canadian Atlantic Shark Research Laboratory at Fisheries and Oceans Canada, to find out. We had a great chat about how sharks are viewed differently by Canadians, what sharks are doing while they're up there, for one thing, they've never killed anyone in Canada, and what is the perfect room temperature for these massive fish. So describe exactly what you do in the world of shark research up there in old Canada. Well, I lead a fairly dynamic program. Um, we're charged with uh, all science questions on pelagic shark species of interest uh, to Canada. And so that can be anything from poor beagle, shortfin mako, basking shark, spiny dogfish, to um, everyone's favorite, the white shark. Yeah, everyone's favorite. You say shark, you think white shark. Uh, they, do you think they have egos? You know, everybody just thinks they're the coolest. I don't know, but they're definitely quite majestic. And they so are. maybe it's possible. <laughs> <laughs> How has it been so far in 2020? For me, um, because the government of Canada has a lot of different priorities, um, I was not given priority uh, to do research. They wanted things like continuing um, ground fish survey time series, for example. Um, and so I found it very difficult to work under the pandemic. I'm much more hopeful for next year. So, so you're out there doing research, and obviously you have a connection to the research in Cape Cod. Uh, describe how you, the research in Cape Cod is connected to Canada. Well, um, what's interesting is uh, when the aggregation site started in Cape Cod, we realized that we started seeing a few more animals up in Canada as well. And so when they became more abundant, it seemed like more were moving north. And so we end up having one large population um, that's transiting over huge distances, which is really cool. Because the sharks are kind of stopping off on Cape Cod and then they're going to get before they get to Canada. And so you've noticed an increase in shark population over the years. We definitely have more sightings yes. up here. Um, there seems to be more use of coastal habitat by white shark. Um, they're much more well known up here. And that's all happened since the aggregation has built off of Cape Cod. You guys use uh, the satellite tags. Uh, I understand that you guys just started using that a, a couple of years ago. In Canada, we've got these interesting regulations related to species at risk um, of white shark is one of them, where we need to think about critical habitat. And critical habitat is places that the shark needs to complete its life history. And so what we're very interested in with our satellite tagging is using archival tags that record depths and temperatures and give an estimate of location. And so we can use those habitat variables to think about um, where these sharks need to be at different components of their life history um, and how prevalent those conditions are in, can in Canadian waters. So the white shark's conservation status in Canada, uh, they're endangered and protected under the Species at Risk Act. Uh, kind of go into that. And so how does that influence your research? Well, a couple of things happen. Um, with the species being protect protected, there's some legislative requirements that the government of Canada needs to develop a recovery strategy. And so my research is directly tailored to answer questions of interest under the recovery strategy, um, the big one being critical habitat. Uh, what is a critical habitat? 
They consider it to be critical if the white shark needs it. And so, for example, um, you never see white shark off the Labrador. The water's too cold. Um, It's just not a good area for them. Um, But you would see them off of most of the coast of Nova Scotia. And so we would consider the temperatures that they're following to be critical um, to their habitat use in Canada. And so the temperature of the water matters because, you know, not too, like kind of like Goldilocks, not too hot, not too cold. I mean, what, exactly. kind of, what kind of temperature does a shark like to hang in? Well, these ones are interesting because they can actually modify their body temperature. A lot of Ooh. people will call them to be pseudo warm blooded. And so um, white shark can actually go into fairly cold water. They've been tracked into as cold as four degrees. Really? But what do they like? What do they, what do they like to chill in? What's their room temperature for a shark? When they're in Canada, their room temperature seems to be kind of between 15 and 20, almost similar to ours. Oh, um, right. This is degrees Celsius, by the way. Yeah, I was about to say that it'd be a little <laughs> cold in uh, Fahrenheit. Uh. Um, but when they're down in, in uh, more southern regions, obviously they frequent much warmer water um, just because there's different conditions down there. I prefer a hot tub myself, uh, but I don't get to go in that every day. You know, it's uh, you don't always get your ideal uh, environment. I think these ones coming to Canada are more into the, you know, cold shock. Or Because <laughs> <laughs> I know they come through Cape Cod. You know, what are they doing at your stop on the road? So white sharks aren't migratory. Like you'd think about like a bird. Um, they tend to use the whole North Atlantic. And they'll go to different locations periodically and may stay there or may not. When we see them in Canada, it tends to be at a time where, for example, the tuna are in the water. Um, It also tends to be the time when seals have come down to their summer habitats and breeding sites. Um, And we think a lot of the reason they're up in Canada is uh, for to find prey. So they're following the food and then they and they know, okay, at this time we got the seals and then at this time we got the tuna. It's like with us with the seasons, like I know I'm going to get apple cider and and cider donuts in the fall and then come summer, I'm going to do some grilling. I feel that that is true. Um, Also, when you look at the distances they move, how quickly they move and where they're spotted, um, it definitely corresponds to prey locations. Certainly. And obviously, sharks love to eat seals. And that's something we have here in Cape Cod. Uh, We've seen the seal population come back. And then obviously, we're kind of noticing more shark sightings. Is it the same thing in Canada? Are seals, um, you know, under also protected and having their population come back at all? Uh, The seal population in Canada um, is managed under uh, by fisheries and oceans. Mm -hmm. They're not considered um, endangered. They're not protected under species at risk, if to my knowledge. Mm -hmm. Um, they're considered a lot healthier. Um, uh, as an example, the gray seal population on Sable Island is one of the only examples uh, in the natural world where a population has gone a sustained exponential increase. Oh, like good for people. them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'd say the seals up here are doing quite well. Um, in the Gulf of St. Lawrence especially, they're doing well. And, but they're a lot more spread out than they are in Cape Cod. And so that's why I think a little bit that the sharks are moving around more. Um, right. They're not finding the huge aggregation of seals the same way. Right, because when the meals are spread out, they're not going to stand still and be like, ah, yes, this is my seal buffet. Uh, they're going to exactly. go around trying to track down the, the meals. Exactly. They, they yeah. got to they got, they got work for their bread, you know? <laughs> <laughs> What's the big question you're trying to answer right now? 
We are very interested um, in the proportion of the population that might use Canadian waters. Mm -hmm. um, that's a big question, because if we are seeing population increase throughout the North Atlantic, we would like to know what that means for Canada. We're very interested in coastal habitat use and how much time the sharks spend right along the coast versus perhaps in deeper waters offshore. Um, there's a lot of opportunity to eat prey offshore as, as well as onshore in Canada. And so we expect that that would affect their, their use. But also, um, Canadians didn't realize we had white sharks for a very long time. Um, they weren't seen, they weren't recorded uh, with any regularity. Um, I think there were a maximum of three re records per decade since the 1950s. Hmm. And so now that we know that they're here, we really want a better picture of where they are throughout Canada. And so thinking about the Gulf of St. Lawrence and the Bay of Fundy and off the coast of Newfoundland, um, and just how regularly are those places used? Was it just because there were more sightings? Uh, were there any concerns about, you know, people having some confrontation with uh, the sharks in the waters? Uh, what really brought that on? People definitely think about shark in the waters now. Yep. Um, I've been sent a few photographs, for example, this year of um, surfers where they've blown up the background and there's a fin in the background. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so I think people are a lot more aware. Um, there's been a couple of sightings from kayaks and that's gotten the people's hearts going when they've told about it afterwards. Um, but in general, I'd say that the, it's still very rare. All of these encounters are still very rare. And that's the interesting thing, because in America, I work in news, and when there's a shark sighting or, if, you know, there's some sort of, like, incident with a shark, headlines, a lot of people get nervous and scared and concerned about sharks. But in Canada, is that the same? Whenever there's, like, anything with sharks, media's like, oh, man, sharks, wah! What's the difference culturally? We've had a different scenario in that we've never had a fatal encounter. Really? And so the sightings tend to be very much human interest stories. Oh, I was out in my boat and I happened to see a white shark and it was really cool and huh. really interesting. And so there tends to be a lot of, um, yeah, like I say, just human interest surrounding the sightings and interactions. Um, and I'd say a bit less fear. Right. Um, with some of the media out of the States, that is changing a little bit. Right. Um, just because more people are considering the fact that they're up here. Any reason why there's uh, less shark, there hasn't been a shark attack up there? Is there just less swimmers? Uh, I, I don't know. Like, why, why hasn't there been any attacks? Um, honestly, it, this would be purely speculation. Yeah. Um, I think it does speak to the relative number uh, of them up here. I think that it's different, that there's definitely an aggregation site in, in and around Cape Cod versus up here. Um, the animals are moving around. They're not as localized in one area. Right. Um, there are definitely less people in the water um, and less people who are splashing on the surface of the water. So um, fewer things like swimmers. Uh, there's a lot more use in boats, in kayaks and larger boats, um, which also would reduce the possibility of an interaction, I'd say. Um, but you can't discount that there's an element of luck as well. Certainly. Well, and I mean, Canada, you guys got a ton of lakes. Like, why go in the ocean? When you got all that lake water. And, then, and you know, as far as I know, sharks aren't chilling in the lakes. So that way you guys just hanging out in the lakes. You know, you're like, we don't need that ocean. Let it let it stay hey. salty over there, you know? 
Oh, that's almost, you know, you can't say that. I'm from Manitoba. I came to the ocean specifically. It's the best place ever. So the ocean is the best place. You know, who needs all those lakes, you know? <laughs> is there a concern uh, amongst the population that, you know, because there's more shark sightings and if there's going to be more and more, is there a concern that maybe the population is going to get high and then there, there is going to be problems in Canada? There, the possibility has definitely been raised. Yes. Um, there's a couple of local groups, uh, some of the surfing organizations, for example, um, who are interested in more coastal monitoring. Um, there's been a lot of discussion, I think, surrounding our current monitoring networks and how we could use them um, to better understand shark movement. But this also ties into the proportion of time coastally versus in deeper environments, because obviously coastally is where we'd expect interactions with people. Or talk about their ecosystem, and obviously it plays a huge role in ocean life to protect their ecosystem. And does some of your work kind of influence that as well, and like looking at how we're affecting their ecosystem and how that's affecting populations? I would say that um, my research is more focused directly on white shark uh, ecosystem interactions. Yeah. For example, we're looking uh, and developing a new project um, specifically on predator prey and how seals change their behavior in the presence of white sharks and how white sharks might change their behavior in the presence of seals, as well as looking at some of coastal indus uh, industries because aquaculture, for example, is expanding in Canada. And so we're thinking a little bit about how or if uh, white shark interact with aquaculture installations, if the stocking density or the type of species, because most of it is finfish aquaculture, if that might affect um, white shark presence in an area. Um, and those are all ongoing questions. And now you got me interested uh, now with the seals uh, behaving differently when sharks around, sharks behaving differently when seals around. Uh, my first thought when you say that is that a seal would just be like, oh, get me out of here. Like, you know, just like, you know, just like me if I saw a bear. Uh, but any findings from that or anything interesting uh, it, from your research? We're right at the beginning. So unfortunately, I don't have anything to share. And COVID's yet. getting in the way of my curiosity <laughs> again. Exactly. <laughs> oh, my gosh. But what are some interesting findings that you've had from your research? Obviously, you're into the sharks. You're into the data. I love data nerds. Yeah. But like, what have you discovered that you've been like, oh, this is crazy? Well, um, one of the more surprising things from our tagging was the proportion of time that animals spend at the surface of the water column. Mm -hmm. So, for example, white shark um, can move through the top thousand meters of the water column. They can dive extremely deeply. Um, and what we found interesting was uh, they're spending almost 95% of their time, at least while in Canadian waters, in the top 50 meters of the water column. And you can say, okay, this makes sense from a predator-prey perspective, but what's doubly interesting about that is just how rarely they actually break the surface, that they're mm. in the top five meters of the water column. So... Um, a lot of the times that we're thinking of where animals are or what they're doing, they're just below our vision, but they still might be there, um, which definitely affects how we think about coastal monitoring and how we think um, about critical habitat. How did you get into sharks? I mean, were you always into sharks as a kid? Because like in Canada, there's not as much shark action going on up there. But no. like, what got you into it? Um, I'm definitely a fish nerd. Ah. I have loved fish forever. Um, but honestly, what got me into shark research was math. 
because I'm very interested in species at risk. Yep. I'm very interested in the threats that affect their populations and what causes them to increase or decrease in size. And um, through a very convoluted uh, path, I went through a lot of salmon research and that's actually brought me to sharks um, because surprisingly, a lot of the questions are similar. Interesting. And now wh what's the math looking like for sharks right now? Uh, is the math good? Is the math bad? Uh, I'm not a mathematician, but like when you're looking at like the future of shark populations, uh, where's the math at? Well, if you want to talk simulation modeling. Um... Oh, you know, I'm always <laughs> down to talk simulation modeling. Hit me. <laughs> The um, the most uh, recent trend analysis in the North Atlantic suggests the population has doubled since um, the 1990s. Interesting. Um, if you use a simulation model to think about whether or not that level of increase is likely based on what we know about shark biology. So when they mature, how long they live, how many pups they have. Um, we would say that that level of increase is extremely unlikely hmm. um, for white shark in the North Atlantic, um, which is interesting in this perspective that it speaks to the trend analysis indexing in uh, distribution. So it's not only abundance. Um, for the trend to have increased that much, we're all see also seeing changes in distribution. Um, and so we could end up uh, developing research projects in the future to hopefully investigate those types of questions as well. So by distribution, you mean the same amount of sharks, but they're just coming to yep. your area. It, exactly. They're, they're, they, you know, because they heard the part, the party's great up in Canada. Uh, I mean, I've been to Canada. You guys got great food. Uh, Niagara Falls is great. Uh, so, you know, they're like, hey, maybe this is the spot where we can go and uh, hang out at our room temperature. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I really enjoy your perspective. <laughs> I, I, I try to I try to look at things through a lens of my absurdity. And it's a it's a it's a weird, wonderful world, you know? <laughs> I um I'm really happy that there's been so much public interest uh with sharks. Sure. And you know, yourself, you're helping to create that interest. Um I think it helps a lot with conservation just because, you know, people say in Canada weren't aware that we had a lot of shark species on our coast. And when you're not aware of something, it's hard to create the momentum to conserve something or to think about um, hard choices in our ocean use. And so I think with increased public uh, participation in the debate, increased public awareness, it's really um, allowing us to make good steps forward. Thank you for listening to another episode of Shark Tales. We have more sharky things with the Atlantic White Shark Conservancy on our NBC10 Boston website, Instagram, and YouTube channels.